I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Dun, 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 dun. I don't have anything after that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what song I was trying to sing. But everybody, hi. It's season two of Shut Up and Listen with me, Heather Matarazzo. I wasn't even aware that podcasts had seasons. Um, so I just took it upon myself to say, this is the start of season two, brand new year, brand new season. Um, and truth be told, I'm really glad I did that for a number of reasons. Um, and already have, um, a number of really incredible guests that are going to be coming on, um, including Mara Wilson, who I love, who I'm excited to talk with, um, Kate Hagan from The Blacklist, who I'm really excited to speak with as well, um, but, I digress. I hope everybody had a really beautiful holiday. You know, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, non-traditional holiday, winter solstice, whatevs. Um, And are ready to really take 2018 by the ovaries. Um... So, I'm really, really looking forward to getting to have this conversation with this individual that I'm sitting here with. Um, And a mutual friend of ours, uh, Zelda Williams, put us in contact. And I'm talking about none other than Chris Kidd, who is such an incredible writer and he's dark like me. <laughs> um, if not, I, I feel that you definitely um, tap into the irony more than I do of life. Um, but you, you've you written extensively, you know, um, I Can't Feel My Face, <laughs> which is so great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I often say that about myself. That I can't feel my face. <laughs> it happens. It does happen. <laughs> and um, yeah, you're you're a writer. You're an influencer. You're, you know, a bad influencer. Is what my agency labeled me. Really, yeah. a bad influencer. But yes. that's so judgy. <laughs> I like it. Um. So yeah, welcome. Thank welcome, you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Missing Z. Yeah. Might be trapped in New York now with the big storm. Oh no! So we're figure that out. But okay. Other than that, good. Just and working and, and Z is Zelda. Z is that's, yeah, sorry. That's that's our nickname for Zelda. We <laughs> we just call her Z. Um. So, <sighs> you know, I I don't do traditional quote unquote fucking interviews. It's really just a conversation. 
Um, the way I like it. Yeah, same here. And you and I have not had many conversations. No. It's been very, very limited. Um, <clears throat> but I, I do, I just want to get into it. Let's do it. Because <laughs> we literally had the briefest conversation before we started this. And <laughs> <clears throat> talking about, um, Chris was talking about having these conversations with people that he doesn't want to really be having, doesn't want to really be conversing with uh, that are just very surface level conversations. And I was like, well, why do you feel you even need to have them? Um, Period. Yeah. And so I'm like, fuck this shit, (laughs) you know, because the truth is, is that it's, it's awkward. It is. I think sometimes, but then again, you know, you as a poet and as an essayist are no holds barred in terms of your story mm-hmm. and in terms of your experience of and with life. Yeah. You know, so pardon me for just going in, um, but I something that really one of the things that struck me so greatly was you talking about your dad's suicide. Yes. And standing in the kitchen. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was the thought process. As they zipped up his body in a body bag. Mm -hmm. Um, And how you had said to him sometime before, why don't you just kill yourself? Yeah. And then he ended up blowing his brains um, out in your backyard. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to be like, so tell me how that was. No, I mean, you can. That's why I wrote it. I I think it makes it up for discussion. I think you put those things out there. That's. I guess. Suicide is something that's always been fascinating for me Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, and I've had quite a few people in my life, um, choose to end it by that way yeah and i say choose um and i feel like i agree that it's a choice yeah Yeah. it's it's a very it's the ultimate choice it's the ultimate choice i think there are a lot of factors that can lead up to it and influence that decision but it is a choice um it is a decision that's made and it's the ultimate decision that's made for self yes with Sometimes without any regard for... Without any regard yeah. for others. Um, but it, 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 it makes me think... There's this great quote from Neil Donald Walsh. He wrote this book called Conversations with God. And in it, he talks about um, betraying self in order not to betray another is the highest form of betrayal. I would agree with that, too. And so when it comes to, like, I had a friend of mine, <clears throat> it was a year ago in September that she was 30 years old and she had been missing for a couple of days and they ended up finding her body in the woods. Okay. Um, and we hadn't talked in maybe like a year. But when when I was living in New York, you know, it was the kind of friendship that was very intimate and she would stay at my house and you know it was it was a deep 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 friendship a bond yeah um and 
she would talk about suicide, as would I. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't, quote unquote, surprised when she did it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that I wasn't shocked. I think it's shocking to finally face it and see it in this three-dimensional way. Yeah. Um, that quote in I Can't Feel My Face, it was he had been kind of using it as leverage, as a threat mm. for so long when I was a teenager that... Mm. Like, if he had fucked up or done something wrong. Yeah. Oh, no. Nope. Okay. Fuck, cunt, That's bitch. Shit, Let's yeah. do it. Okay, cool. All the, <laughs> all the swear words, George Carlin would be proud. Love it. Um, he'd been doing it for so long that I think that last time that he did it the night before he actually went through with it, I was just so exasperated by that point. Um, and I think in a weird way, that quote you just mentioned, the thought process, then I was 15, but I was so sick at the time. I was really kind of in the depths of an eating disorder and just reacting to my family situation um but trying to appease him in those things where like just don't do it i do love you i'm sorry and i think i was betraying myself in doing that because then i would just continue to get more sick or more self-destructive yeah um so that night i had just kind of given up but i was yeah i wasn't shocked when we heard it happen i was surprised to see it though that is yeah a different even if you're not there for the event it is still once it becomes tangible and becomes real even if you've talked about it or you've understood or seen hints of it it's still surprising yeah or just maybe there's not even a word for that feeling it's just kind of a it's jarring yeah and are you still jarred i don't know um no, I wouldn't say that I'm jarred by it. I think I've come to terms with it. I think that's a process that takes a really long time. I don't know if I'm done with that process. I, but I don't know that one ever is. Yeah, I think it affects me, and I think it will continue to affect me for the rest of my life. Well, I've yeah. had friends who have, um, over the years since then, felt suicidal and talked to me about it, and I'm like, I can't be the owner of this piece of information. I can't be the last one to know. Yeah. Like, which can affect the friendship itself where there's that am I breaching trust where I'm like I need to go talk to somebody or you need to find someone else to talk to it it affects you forever but I think I don't think I am as jarred as I was in the years that followed like yeah as a teenager still being really messy and reactive toward it um and I think coming to terms with the fact that it was his decision that my telling him to do it he was going to do it anyway at some point yeah yeah I don't think anybody's responsible for that outside of the person. I don't know. It's subjective, but... Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. It's... It's um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a really... It's a really, really interesting thing. And I mean, you know... <clears throat> all of us kill ourselves every day in one form or another. Smoking right now. Yeah, yeah. we're smoking, we're drinking... Like a beautiful glass of wine, <laughs> you know, we eat the wrong foods, we mm-hmm. don't exercise enough, we like ba 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 ba. And sometimes it's, isn't it enough that I'm actually even just here breathing? Yeah. I don't, you know, but but it's the. <clears throat> the waiting to die. Passively dying yeah. versus actively. Passively dying. I make a lot of horrible body decisions and health decisions, but um, I think the 
waiting to die, the passively waiting to die thing, that's where we get into the whole conversation of like a purpose. Yes. And that again, everything is subjective, but that is also very subjective. And yeah, I think for me, it's always been as I've been actively trying to get better and whatever that means to the individual. For me, it's not making as horrible decisions as I used to. Um, I found it in the people that I keep around me. I've been yeah. a lot um, more choosy about who I surround myself with. Yes. And I like to give a lot to those people. Yes. My s- circle of friends is small, but they know that anything that's mine is theirs. And yes. um, that kind of accountability and responsibility and those relationships, I think, even when I'm having a really bad day, I'm like, oh, but... I can get out of bed and go do this for this person or this person might need this and that helps me a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think just having something to wake up in the morning for and that's a lot easier said than done and some days are just worse than others but having something to look forward to in that sense helps a lot. And what do you feel that your purpose is? Oh, um, I'm still figuring that out. I'm 24, but thus far, I think in the last couple of years with like the books coming out and stuff and having cool opportunities like this to talk to wider audiences of people. Yeah. Um I think the purpose right now has shifted towards just being really vocal about life. Um I know not everyone gets that opportunity and I am like a young white male, so I probably have a bigger, much bigger opportunity to do so. But just talking about my struggles as they are, because we're all going through something, there are a lot of things we can relate on. And I mean, the whole influencer thing, Instagram's actually been really positive for me in the sense that I can share my writing there and kids that I would never meet in other countries or in the middle of America that are going through these things. I didn't have, and this is kind of tangential, but... um when I was going through all of those things, I would read these books and they were usually like just really silly, like recovery memoirs where they tell them, tell you their story. And then at the end they're like, and then I got better. So good luck with that. Yeah. And I always felt more isolated. Yeah. I love you. Bye. (laughs) I always felt more left out and like isolated by that. Um, And that is one thing people have asked me repeatedly about the book, the zine I just gifted you and the other two books. Um, I tend to end kind of, very vaguely Mm. um again because i'm 24 i'm still working i don't know where i'm gonna end up none of these are memoirs like i haven't lived my whole life yet um but you have i've lived a part of my life but but i mean but but like but that goes to you you've been here for 24 years that has been your whole life Mm -hmm. so you have lived your whole life that is up until now yeah i think that is very true. I think what I'm saying is the other, the memoirs that I was, I had access to at that time were people kind of really closing the book, closing the chapter on this thing. And I'm still developing. I'm still yes. going one day at a time trying to figure it out. Yes. And um, I now actively choose with anything I publish to keep it that way, no matter where I'm at in my road to whatever. Um, because that's what I think kids have gravitated towards is kids can talk to me about these things via direct message or email or whatever and I try to respond as often as I possibly can and I think that's really powerful I guess that yeah that was very tangential but the purpose thing I think is um trying to be there for people and make people feel less alone 
And does that then in turn make you feel less alone? Absolutely. Yeah. Hearing these things from, even with like right now, the Me Too, this whole movement, which is so powerful and it's been around much longer than Yep, I know. This, yeah. Actually, I was getting direct messages from kids where they're like, why haven't you posted about this? And I was like, well, the only reason you're asking me is because I've already written about this and you know. Um, and I think just creating a space to talk about those things, whatever it be, even if it has to be this kind of trend at the moment, I don't care how it happens yeah. so long as the discussion is being had. Yes, absolutely, for sure. Today I read something about Terry Richardson possibly being um, like investigated by the NYPD. And like maybe a month ago, Condé Nast International finally like kind of blacklisted him and way to lead from behind. Like they've known, we've all known for a very long time, but I don't care how it happens so long as these things start happening. Yes. 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 That makes me excited. Yes. Yes. And what, what makes you in particular excited about it? Um, I think again, it goes back to being heard. I know, um, if one voice can stand up, other ones will power in numbers. That's just a kind of way of thinking and it helps. And if it makes people feel more comfortable to stand up and talk about whatever it is, be it <coughs> their struggle with depression or mm-hmm. a sexual assault or anything, yeah. if you feel safe talking because other people are talking, that makes me excited. Yes. Yes. So again, I can yes. only talk about my limited worldview and my life. But if that sparks something within someone that they can relate to, absolutely. Hopefully, they can start talking, and then that will spark something with yeah. Even like kids from like the Midwest that are DMing me, if I'm letting them feel comfortable, they might start talking about it, and then their friends and people around them. You know, change starts small. Yeah, no, I I completely I completely understand that. Yeah, and I guess sorry guys, that's <laughs> that's Tagalong's caller. Um. And I, you know, a big theme that's been occurring in my life, especially this past year, um, has been about receiving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were talking about DMs and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder, you know, when you get those emails when you get those messages when people mm-hmm. reach out to you whether it's help or thank you mm-hmm. but especially the thank you um a are you able to receive that are you able to receive um sorry again <laughs> sorry again tag along come on baby just chill out please take a breath um Tagalong's really excited about 2018. Hyped up. Um, she's she's ready and raring to go. So sad. Um, super super sad. But like, especially for the thank yous, are you able to receive them? Like, are you able to take a step back from what you've done, from what you've shared, and take in the fact that you actually have created change? I'm trying to get better at that. I've been really appreciative this year. Um, I think the response has been... So with the first two books, those were um, published by a small press called The Altar Collective, and they're amazing. But I realized at the end of 2016 that I didn't really have any online content. Mm. So I started working on 
this column called Elsewhere that was about like escapism through sex and yeah. drugs and food. Um, and I ran seven essays through that. And that was at the beginning of this year. And I've had a more overwhelming response with that because kids were actually able to access it on their own. Um, and so the response was a lot greater. And I did have to kind of learn to take a step back and just feel good about the fact that I mean, they were just very overwhelming messages. Some of them, one of the kids was about 14, was assaulted by a 32-year-old and never felt safe enough to be open about that and finally told their mom. And their mom went to the police and, like, there's now an investigation being done. Like, those kinds of things are so overwhelming and so jarring. But I feel really happy about that. I feel like I didn't realize... I know I just said that change starts small, but I think I realized that this year. Yeah. I'd always been writing as a form of catharsis, but I think realizing social media definitely has its downsides, but we can use it to connect as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that that goes for, that goes, I think, for everything and anything. The dichotomy, you know, it's, yeah. it's, Everything is really neutral. It's it, it, it really depends on what energy, whether it's used constructively or destructively absolutely you know it's 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 not so much the thing as the user of said thing yeah you know um and and i'm a lover of words um and i've been thinking also like a lot today about the difference between the word use and utilize that is actually something i've never thought about but that is such a good wow Because I, I, yeah, like I, I was thinking about like my, <clears throat> I was thinking about just certain instances where I felt so completely used. Yes. That's immediately what I went to was the use and utilization of people. Yeah. And, and I just went from, I've definitely, I've definitely had the experience of feeling used, but yeah. what are the experiences I've had being utilized? That's so great. Yeah. I think this is just this is something I've never thought about, but I'm just popping off in the mouth. <laughs> go go um, for it. That's what this is for. I think utilization would come from, or at least in one respect, um, almost consent, like mm. being utilized by a friend. Like a friend needs a ride to the airport, or a friend needs you to help them move. There's choice. Friend, there's choice. It's <coughs> And it's also kind of, they know that, they have you again it goes back to that whole um being available for the people you love that's where i would feel utilized i think i feel used by people i've never given any like sign of consent to where it's like you know asking me to do this but i feel like there there can be um i think that there can be a An inverse to that, to a certain degree. Yeah, just just like within friends. Yeah, within friends, where um, if it's but then you know, like for fuck's sakes, I feel like this is like either like intellectual masturbation or gymnastics. (laughs) I don't want it to be, but (laughs) really, it's 
when you have that friend that continually asks you for things, oh. and because we've been conditioned to um, say yes, right, to betray yeah. self in order not to betray another, because mm-hmm. that's what friends do. Yes. Like, we do that, and if we don't say yes, that means that we're not a really good friend, and blah, 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 blah. So then it comes from a sense of obligation as opposed to, like, joyously and enthusiastically giving to someone you love yeah giving freely with like no strings attached no um none of that stuff um you know so i definitely think that 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 can definitely happen um in friendships as well and i feel like that's what makes it harder it's harder to see the potential usage when it comes to friends and family, as opposed to a random stranger that's like, hey, um, I need $5,000. <laughs> that actually happened. Oh. Okay. Just like uh, somebody who was tag along, someone who is barely an acquaintance. Um, it's like, hey, I like, I need $5,000. Do you think you could like give it to me? And me being like, What? I don't. So I, do I. But I, yeah. good lord, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think so. Another big learning lesson that I got out of 2017 was, and it's something I've been working on for a while, was patterns in behavior. Noticing mm-hmm. that in people, even the ones that you love, and noticing that um, patterns in behavior don't necessarily change all that often. So, I've. At least that's what I've come to find. And so if someone is, if you're feeling used, mm-hmm. if you are starting to feel used, you really have to take a, take a step back and look at that, I think. That was very vague. <laughs> no, well, I mean, well, it also makes me think of um, that, again, like betrayal of self, right? Yeah. Where if you're saying yes when you don't want to say yes and mm-hmm. you're doing this and you don't want to do it because blah 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 um then you are betraying self which yeah. means that you're not setting boundaries you're not being clear um and then getting resentful at the other person when mm-hmm. it's really oh i i actually i was not choosing me yeah and and this person is making me realize that and I don't like the fact that I have to look at that because that then means that I need to change some shit it means that I need to set a boundary and that makes me uncomfortable or I need to do this and that makes me feel uncomfortable the dichotomy again the inverse of me feeling purpose and giving that's been something I really have to work on is giving to the right people which they think what I was sort of trying to say I'm still formulating these thoughts but um that's been one of my biggest struggles is giving to the wrong people, people who will not that you ever give to because you expect to receive. It's not like I you keep count in any way, but giving to someone that you know that is maybe not capable of giving back or um, kind of refusal. There was a book that a friend mentioned to me and that it was called The Narcissist-Empath Relationship mm. about how you kind of gravitate as an empath, I would consider myself an empath, and I think yeah. I have gravitated toward narcissists several times in my life just because it makes me feel useful, and they need the empath. And mm-hmm. in that way, there's 
no one who's really wrong. It's both people just kind of are this way, and it's all about, I think, trying, hopefully aiming to take a step back and look at yourself and your surroundings and the situations you're putting yourself in. And it's hard. I'm still learning to do that. Um, yeah, I think taking that step back and trying to see what you're gaining. It doesn't have to be a reciprocal gain, but what do you get out of giving? Is it making you happy? Yes, is it, exactly. Yeah. What's the intention behind it? Exactly. Okay, yeah. There yeah, what is the Full intention yeah. um, with the giving? You know, and and that um, <clears throat> and again, you know, even fuller circle. Um, my love and I, you know, we, we've been talking a lot, and again, like these reoccurring themes, which I think are so important about like worthiness and unworthiness. Oh, absolutely, and <clears throat> that. And and really that the biggest the, the biggest um, desire I think that we as human beings have, and I I, I say this time and time again, is um, knowing that like we are worthy of love and we're held in love and received in love, and our our biggest fear is. Um, finding out that not only that we're not held in love but, but hold on one second I'm like delete 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 backspace 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 I'd love to go back to that though. Um, no because I, I just got distracted by Luna um, <laughs> who's that <laughs> kitten um, and another producer of the show um, <laughs> best one like the best one she's such a cunt I love her um <laughs> But no, like the the biggest fear being that we're going to find out that the biggest fear about ourselves is true, which yes. is that we are unworthy yeah. of love. Not deserving. I think a lot of, again, I think our theme for this is just going to be dichotomy, but I think yes. um, for a very long time, my giving nature was because I felt I have a lot of issues with self-worth, as you've read. Um, and... I would give and give and give to people to keep them from leaving. Be yes. it money or my body, anything yeah, really, for just sure. to keep you from leaving me. Yeah, um, and to prove that you were worthy. Yeah, of oh, having someone stay. Absolutely, um, and it kind of sedated me in a weird yeah. sense because then I feel validated, um, however momentarily. And after several times of that blowing up in my face I think the instinct is just oh the issue is that I'm giving that was kind of my reaction to that (laughs) again it's always I've had friends that have gone through similar things and I listen to the advice I give them and I'm like listen to yourself oh my god because I think it would be such a tragedy to lose that giving part of yourself because it's blown up in your face with the wrong people does and also the intention, though. It's exactly. Again, yeah, yeah. like the... Well, shifting your, atten- your intention, that's, uh, that's, I think, what this year has been Shifting your attention. Yes. Yeah. To your intention. Absolutely. Shifting your attention to your intention. I like that. 
Yeah, and I think I've. That's why my circle is so small now, is because it's all people that I just love and trust and really will do anything for, and I don't feel at risk for being used. I always feel utilized. Um, I'm not much of an asker, but I know if I ever needed to, they would be there for me. And why? Why is that? I think that's another yet to be unpacked in therapy um (laughs) i um, i think i also get a sense of validation out of doing things on my own um yeah because that way then you get to prove that you don't need anybody true oh my god yeah that you don't uh, i mean for fuck's sakes i i completely get it you know because then also what it does it it keeps you from experiencing possible rejection true and someone saying no which means then that it keeps you from experiencing the possibility that someone might not find you worthy of the to help. help. Damn, Heather. <laughs> yeah. I no, can definitely see where that applies. I, I mean, this is as much a learning experience for me right now as it is for you. And that's one of the reasons that I love getting to have these conversations and just like jump in with like the body bag and dead Let's dad go. in the backyard. I think that's a good place to jump off. Why from. not? Why not? <laughs> you know, um, we're all ladies here. We're all ladies here. And we're, <laughs> like, and the truth is when you were talking about like on your path, it's, you know, like we're on our path to life as much as we're on our path to death. Yes. One hundred percent. You know, um, and so, yeah, like that's that's for me. That's the the big the biggest reasons that I very 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 rarely would ever ask for help because I felt like just like you have like three wishes, you know, with like the genie. Yep. It's I really 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 need to conserve my asks. <laughs> And it, because it, it, if I'm getting, like, if I'm getting mugged, <laughs> I need to ask you for know, help right now. I need to, I might need to ask for help, you know, but it's like, <laughs> well, wait a second. I can take a mugging. Like, what if maybe, something worse comes like, along? Yeah. <laughs> I use my last wish. Oh my God. Yeah. No, but it, it, it also makes me think of like that. There's that great story about, um, that the guy who was praying to God and um, there was like a flood going on and the flood levels are like rising and rising and a boat comes by and the guys, they're like, come on, get in the boat. We're going to save you. And he's <laughs> like, no, I'm waiting for God. Sweet God's going to yeah. come. I asked God for help. I got this. All good. And, uh, Helicopter comes. Ladder. Come on, we're going to save you. Get up, homie. Nope. D- d- don't, no, I asked God for help. I'm waiting for God. <laughs> I'm waiting for God. God's going to help me. And the son of a bitch fucking drowns, because, of course. And God's not and, there for him. Yeah. Again, he, he dies, and he gets up there, and he's like... Yo, I texted Dude, you like three times. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I like, I prayed to you, asked for help, all this shit. And he's like, I sent you the boat and I sent you the helicopter. Like, what more do you want from me? Yeah. And I think when we become so fixated on what the help is going to look like Tunnel or vision. should look like, 
um, that we miss out on an incredible amount of opportunities again because and I know this is like a big thing for me that um, I'm getting to learn through and grow through and um, feel at times incredibly uncomfortable (laughs) through like growth is painful and hard Um, (laughs) you know because like I I continually think of like spiritual shrapnel you know where it's um, it's always healing like the the deepest wounds within us and and there was a time that I wouldn't even desire to use a term like that because it's I'm incapable of wounding. Yeah. I'm incapable no, I am of impenetrable. Yeah. Exactly. I'm the unsinkable Molly Brown. I got oh this. Oh my God. By the way, side note, the unsinkable Molly Brown is one of my favorite movies in the world. I think she's incredible. <gasps> Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> Halloween Town. Oh. Hero. Icon. But, uh, <laughs> the I mean, but the unsinkable Molly Brown, like... I also loved Kathy Bates as her in Titanic, I gotta say. Well, yes. <laughs> well, yes. Well, yes. I mean, Molly Brown, who just, like, fucking floating down a basket in a creek. I got this. Like, living in, like, the backwoods, didn't know how to read, didn't know how to write, you know, and ends up, you know, marrying, like, the love of her life, like, J.J. Brown, Johnny Brown, <laughs> And he, like, strikes gold and silver and their nouveau riche and make a fuck ton of money. And she wants to be a part of society um, in Colorado. (laughs) The height of luxury. (laughs) Yeah, we got this. Yeah, and she, like, has red everywhere and gold everywhere. And she's so incredibly uncouth. And... uh, I mean, super glam in my opinion, but yes, I'm cool. I think the most glam. Yeah. And I'm like, I would fucking party with her. Like, let's drink some moonshine and have a good time. Let's get it. Yeah. Like, let's do the Irish jig. I'm down (laughs) for it. I'm I'm there. I have my shoes. I've been waiting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me lift up my skirt and let's go dancing. Um, Tag along. Come on, dude. We're making friends. It's cool. I know. She just... (laughs) Tackling, do you want to come up? This is, you see, people. This is why AI will never have children. (laughs) These four legged babies are enough. Um, Got it covered. No, but, and like, but Molly Brown, though, right? And this is a perfect example, right? So for those that don't know, A, rent the unsinkable Molly Brown. It's an incredible musical starring Debbie Reynolds. It's all you need to know. (laughs) There's a character. By the name of Buttercup, like for fuck's sakes. But part of her story was that when they had they had struck gold, Johnny had struck gold, and made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And it was right after they got into a huge fight um, on their wedding night. <laughs> And one does. as one does, and he's gone a week, doesn't tell her where she's where he's going, all this shit, comes home, puts the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a wooden stove, <laughs> and Molly doesn't know that. 
Um, and like subsequently, the like two hundred fifty thousand dollars gets burned to nothing. It's a very me move. It's, <laughs> it's I feel that on a spiritual level. Yeah. And I mean, can you like a? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I just read a story about some dude who had like an unbelievable amount of money in Bitcoin on some laptop and his girlfriend threw it away. So it's gone. Wait, how is that possible? I don't know exactly how the Bitcoin works. I'm not that hip. But I feel like when you have Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin. Like the computer doesn't make a difference. It's connected to an account. This was literally something spoken to me. I just laughed so hard. Yeah. It's not the same as burning it in an oven. Tangible cash. Yeah, like tangible fucking cash. And yet, they like not only survived through that, like they <laughs> thrived. You know, because she was so fucking determined because she like wanted to learn to like read and write. She wanted mm-hmm. to see the world. She wanted to better herself. She wanted to, and she knew, and that's the thing. She knew that she was worthy. Yeah. Like, she knew that she was worthy. That so, level of self-motivation comes from a level of self-confidence. But then with that, too, you know, her desire to impress everybody along Pennsylvania Avenue, especially Gladys McGraw, who was, like, came from old money and thought that Molly Brown and her family and her husband were just poor white trash. Yeah with cash <laughs> um and like in modern day it would be like when roseanne won the lotto there you go um that's the connection that's the connection but she did have a desire to be included and received by colorado society yeah and they and they said no and johnny and that's the difference i'm sorry i'm no, so excited no, no. about no this. it's so good is that Johnny didn't give a fuck and he wanted to go back to Ludville. And Molly was like, fuck that shit. Like that. Yeah. I need I need to go to Europe because I want to learn how to speak French. And she spent month after month after month. Maybe this will, maybe I'll be worthy now. Maybe I'll be worthy now. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll be worthy now. Maybe I'll be worthy now. And, and that's the thing. It's the... She felt herself worthy enough to have the experience of But she needed the validation from the people that were already there. Exactly. So not to just throw us on another movie reference, but the level of self-worth I have always wanted to get to is Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, where she just looks at those ladies who will not sell her clothes in the store. Big big mistake. Huge. Huge. That is all I am aiming toward. <laughs> That's where I want to get to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I guess it's so it's so funny that like you you pick that as like I think about it all the time because I I'm from Norwalk, which is like in the South Bay. I didn't grow yeah. up with money. Yeah. And I'll end up at parties now with the modeling and things where I'm still just kind of a poor kid from Norwalk. I yeah. am in these scenarios, but I still dress like me. I still am me. Yeah. And I can tell people are always wondering, like, what is it that got you here? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm here, so I deserve to be here. Like, whatever it is, yes. I deserve to be here because yes. I got here. So That's so... And where did that come from for you? I think I've just always kind of... 
gotten off on the fact that I think when I was younger and it first started happening, I think my favorite was um, it was like a Gucci party in Ginza in Japan, and I got followed around the store because I was wearing these like big platform Doc Martens and like a leather jacket. And I felt like they were just waiting for me to shoplift. And I was like, really? Yeah. Um, I was there with one of my friends, and she was kind of this little punk rock. And girl that would from make Tokyo. me, but that would make me feel like they would be following you around because they were expecting a lot of business. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. You can kind of see it in the eyes. Okay. Because yeah. there were very, there were people there who I could tell go to these parties all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they're drinking champagne. It yeah. was more um, like salespeople just kind of making yeah. sure I wasn't yeah, doing yeah, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always just think that's, in a weird way, I think it's just funny. It's ironic. It's like yeah. I'm here yeah. because I wear these clothes yeah. to sell them to these people yeah yeah no i get it but i don't it's the now that i'm not wearing them yes. i don't fit your vision of it yes of course but, but that, i deserve to be here yes so. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly 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 yeah um it's so fucked and w- did you always have that like little you elementary school like did you like what was that? That was more of the question of okay. how did you develop that sense of self to know that you were worthy of being wherever you were? Because that's something that I still have moments of yeah trouble um, with. I think in middle school, especially growing up in an area like that, I was like one of the only little white boys, and I was very clearly gay. So I kind of got bullied, but I just became really funny, and that mm-hmm. was my way of being around and then yeah um also i in a weird way with everything that went on in high school with the family drama and um i learned to laugh my way through certain things that's i think my dark sense of humor just comes from that because i didn't know how else to handle it yeah no for Um, sure and so i've always just kind of been like the class clown in that sense and that gave me my sense of belonging that it it may, I don't know why I keep on bringing up all these old musicals. <laughs> <laughs> but did you ever see Gypsy? Very long time ago. Okay. I was very very young. So like day. Natalie Wood, um, Natalie Wood and Rosalind Russell. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and her husband was called the Lizard of Roz, <laughs> which I always thought was That's so incredible. Funny. It's so funny. Um, but there's this moment where so. Gypsy Rose Lee, for those of you that don't know, and I don't mean to sound condescending. These are just older musicals, yeah. No, I know, but like, I I sometimes... It's one of two things, right? Where it's either, A, I assume everybody knows what I'm talking about, so I don't (laughs) need to explain anything. But then when I take a step back and I'm like, oh, maybe they don't know. They were just not. Then when I feel like I need to give like a backlog as to what it is, then all of a sudden I feel condescending because (laughs) I feel like I, I don't know. I could never be a fucking teacher ever, ever, (laughs) ever, ever. Um, I proved that to Listen, myself kids. last year. I literally proved that to myself last year Close when up. I taught college for a year. What did you teach? Or they probably already know. We can. Yeah, it doesn't. We can doesn't, do it doesn't the... matter. But it just like, <laughs> nope, not for me. Okay. Not for me at all. Definitely. Nope. <laughs> Definitely nope. 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 I say that like three times <laughs> a day. Definitely <laughs> nope. 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 Um, but no, like. So Gypsy Rose Lee, historically, 
Uh, she was a real person. She was one of the most famous strippers. Um, Hell yeah. With burlesque. She made it an art. And so the musical Gypsy is based off her life. And originally, her name was Louise. And she was really awkward, really shy, really um, a wallflower. Her mom didn't really see that she had any potential in anything. Mm -hmm. She always thought she was ugly. Always thought she was gross because her little sister, baby June. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, was the star. Yeah. And blah, 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 blah. Cut to June runs off. They're like still traveling the vaudeville circuit. And Mama Rose, who's Gypsy Rosalie's mother, is like, you got to go on, baby. You got to go on. Here. I can't wait to sound like that. Like, do whatever (laughs) you got to do. And it's like, it's a burlesque house. And, you know, that's how she gets her start. And Mm -hmm. she ends up getting really, really big. And she becomes the queen of the striptease. Hell yeah. And there's this line that when I heard you speaking about like humor as like a lovely deflect Mm -hmm. you know is that she's like i know they're all laughing at me but i laugh first that was my biggest thing they're not laughing at me because i'm laughing it takes all the joy out of like a bully if you laugh first yeah if you make the joke first they have nowhere to go yeah because it's uh, because you're saying that like you already know yeah like, you already know, and, like, what you could potentially point out can't hurt me, and you can't hurt me because I'm already hurting enough for the both of us. I got this. Co- yeah. I think the first time I smoked heroin was at a TGI Friday's, <laughs> and there was um, <laughs> this, I, like, told it to a friend in private, and it, like, spread around the high school, and the rumors that, like, I smoked meth at a Chili's, and I was like, no, let me just get this. It was heroin, heroin at TGI a Friday's. Fridays. Let's just be clear. And then no one could make fun of me anymore because yeah. I had already said it. Yeah, and there was no Applebee's. <laughs> no Applebee's. No Sizzler. Yeah, I planned to go to the Sizzler and like No ground get round. Yeah. Did you have a ground round where you I've never had up? a ground round. We were big on the Sizzler. Olive Garden was a big hit as well. Well, those fucking unlimited fucking I breadsticks. Really Jesus fucking Christ. I was just talking to one of my roommates. I was like, she's from Ireland and she's never been. Like, where really in, where in Ireland you. is she from? Dublin, I believe. She just went back for the holidays. I mean, Dublin is like the vague, yeah. big, but um, yeah, she'd never been to an Olive Garden, so I was like, "We really got to get this popping. You need to know." Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, did you guys go? Not yet. This was literally when a conversation go, we had this morning. Let me know. Oh, I will invite you because I want to feast on unlimited breadsticks, salad and breadsticks. I think it's a twofer. You get unlimited anything. I mean, fuck salad. I know, really. Yeah, we're here fuck for the breadsticks. No, yeah, yeah, we're here. Like, for, it's all good. Anybody that says they're going to Olive Garden for a fucking salad is like, lying go to fuck themselves yourself. and everyone else. Yeah, like seriously, <laughs> what are you talking about? And if you really do believe that. My hat is kind of off to you because look good at on you, and, and I'm, not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not. My first instinct is to judge you because I really am judging self because <laughs> I don't eat salad, as and I need those breadsticks. I, I don't eat salad. I love breadsticks, and it makes me feel like I should reverse that and eat salad. We are deserving of sitting in an Olive Garden eating breadsticks. We are worthy. <laughs> it's like what do i know to be true i know i'm worthy <laughs> of a breadstick from the at olive garden, garden. 
one baby steps. But you know what's so crazy? Um, and it, it, it and I wonder if this is um, something that isn't because I know that like you're a white male who's mm-hmm. gay. Yeah. Right. So like you have certain privileges that I don't. Oh, a bunch. Yeah. Um, you can pee standing up. I really Just can't. Kidding. I take that. I do it everywhere. It's got to be completely honest. I mean, I mess. can too. Yeah. I mean, like women know you how can. to. You can. Yeah. yeah. I know. Um, I've done it. Like some public restrooms are just, you can't that even squat. Yeah. yeah. You can't. You just need to be able to have. It's all dedication. Just wide legs. Put the work in. Yeah. yeah. Just childbearing position. Get it. Standing up. Go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, the, you know. Like, because you also, you know, you mentioned and and you you talk freely about the eating disorder that you had. Um, And I know that something like that, at least based off the conversations with friends that I've had and Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, I because I don't want to say that it's something that you can get over because I don't think that it's something. Yeah, I don't. I think it's it's a forever thing. You learn how to manage and you learn tools which I think applies to a lot of things. Um, but specifically for the eating disorder, for me, it's just been learning ways to manage. I don't think that is ever going to go. Actually, the best advice I was ever given was um, from a female photographer who I love very dearly, one of the first people I ever tested with. Um, and she actually found out I was purging and kind of pulled me aside and we'd never met before. We were shooting and she gave me her story. She used to be a model in the 90s and was very, very sick. I was like, who the fuck are you? Why are you talking to me? Like, I think it was 15. I was like, leave me alone. Um, and now she's, we don't see each other as often as we would like to, but she's one of my closest friends. And the biggest thing she taught me was just kind of get rid of the word better. Like, oh, I'm going to get better. It's like, better than what? I think better is kind of a deflective term. Yes. Like, better than what? Yeah. So ooh, ah, be the ooh. best version of you. And she told me, like, there will be, it comes in waves. Like, wow. you will have a moment where, I think it's also, especially it's really hard in the fashion industry. People think that your eating disorder is um, symptomatic of, which it doesn't help at all. But at least for me and for her, it was something that started much earlier that was a reaction to some sort of trauma. And it was a way of cope. For me, it was always control. So when I feel out of control, that is my instinct to go to. And then it was drugs. And I don't use hard drugs anymore. So... I don't have that. So now when I feel out of control, it takes a lot to manage the food thing. I have to be really careful. And for me, it's, I'll be very careful with what I eat and I'll make sure that I eat, but I'll be very healthy about it. And that'll be like, in my head, I'm controlling and restricting, but I'm still eating. Yes. It's tools. Yes. 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 yes, So I'm not like not eating for a week or throwing up everything I eat. Because for the longest time, I was like, I will just go to a wiener schnitzel and order everything and cry about it and then throw it up. Yeah, for sure. Because you just get a salad and like sit there. And isn't that interesting in the sense of looking at it through the, looking at it through the frame of being worthy? I think it was also self-punishing in a weird way. It's control, but it felt good to like punish myself in that sense of you don't get to eat or if you do eat, you have to get rid of this. Yeah. Control was always like the biggest like symptomatically, like that was the biggest thing, but 
think that's what I'm learning to do is like I don't need to hurt like this is something that my brain does but like I don't need to hurt while I'm doing it I can eat a salad and chill and not be so like concerned about what it's going to do to my body or like how soon I have to get rid of it or what I it's it, it really rearranges your brain I think and so you said that like this started long before modeling well, not long. It started when I was about 12. I think when I started to realize how messy my home was getting with my... My dad was an alcoholic. Yeah. So um, when that started to get out of control for him and there was a lot of fighting going on, that was my way of like... I don't know. I don't know where I saw it or where I learned it, but that was my instinct was to eat and then throw it up. And that was like a weird meditative thing for me. Um. Well, also because it, it goes back to choice. Yeah, I feel I had the choice in that matter. Like I chose to do that, so it was mine. It was I have control. Yes, and it was something that was solely yours. That wasn't anybody else's because nobody else is in your body. Yeah, in that your way. body is really all you have. I think a lot of like the self destruction that happens in adolescence. I think it's because it's such a weird time, and you have no control over anything else. You don't pay rent. You don't people are telling you what to do you have to go to school your body is yours no one can they can police it but they can't take it from you and you can do what you want to do to it yeah for sure but and though i think that there's something to be said you know um you know we were talking about the the me too movement Mm -hmm. um well, they can take it from you. That's true. They, oh my God, they, they totally can. They absolutely, yeah. absolutely can. And But then that becomes a way to get it back, too. Exactly. Kind of and that's exactly what I was just going to say. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's it's totally fine. Like, this is this is the whole entire point of <laughs> why we're doing this. Well, one of my favorite quotes of all time, um, I don't know when it was, I remember actually that photographer told me, because she had this big fascination with Fiona Apple, and she passed that on to me. And Which quote? Because I love um, her. They were asking about what the eating thing was for her and she said to get rid of the bait mm. Ooh. so you essentially starve yourself into something unlovable or undesirable to keep them away Ooh. whoever that may be Ooh. and I think I kind of saw that and then the weird inverse is that with fashion with modeling I was like the heroin chic kid so yeah. I started getting it becomes the bait so then I was like oh fuck yeah. but there's money here so yes. let's go yes 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 um, no, for sure. But I've always that has always haunted me and been so impactful. Wow! To get rid of the bait. To get rid of the bait. People see eating disorders as such a narcissistic, um, vanity-based thing. I, or at least what I've heard of people's confusions, at least with mine, and it has nothing to do with how I look. Like I was always skinny. Um. And I'm a model. Like, I know what I look like. I get paid to do this. Yeah. So it's nothing. There's no, like, my self-worth has never been related to how I look. It's yeah. something deeper. It's something internal. And yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, it makes me think of uh, Gia Maria oh. Karanji. Oh, God, I love her. You know, um, who is a supermodel from the 1980s. And she was. One of the first um, celebrity females, I think, diagnosed with HIV. One yeah. of the first females, period, that okay. was diagnosed with HIV and eventually died of AIDS. And um, there was a great film that was um, done in 1998 about her that starred Angelina Jolie and uh, 
Oh, what's her fuck? I fucking love her so fucking much. Elizabeth Mitchell. She's so good in it. She's so fucking good. She plays her lover. She yes. plays her oh, lover. God. And Mercedes Rule, who's also incredible and plays. And Baby Mila Kunis plays her. And Billy, M- yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yeah. little tiny. I just watched this pretty recently, actually. Oh my god, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's so like it's it's such a it's such a great film, and I, <clears throat> you know. Like, we're all fucked up to varying degrees. Of course. Like, this we know. Um, and it's, again, how do we utilize the the lives that we were born into? You know, my love just talked about this yesterday. You know, we don't ask to be born. We don't ask. I didn't ask for this shit. Yeah, like, no. didn't ask, but yet here it is, right? What and. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you do with it? And and when I I feel like you live in a society that tells you what to do with it, that tells you how to feel about X, Y, and Z. Especially that, for women. Yeah. I mean, really, for, 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 for everybody. I mean, I, I'm still kind of on the Gia tip, but yes. Yeah. I mean, like, really, really for everybody. I... I'm getting to this point very slowly but surely, you know, where <clears throat> I think that there's a difference between having compassion for someone and who they are. And um, there's that, like, great quote from Jesus, like, right before, like, he dies on the cross. You know, and it's like where it's like, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. You know, and it's the the not being awake versus being awake. Yes. And and the truth is, I mean, as human beings, we haven't been around that long. Yeah, not in the grand scheme. Not in the grand scheme of things, and and we're still learning and we're still growing and and within that you know power struggles and and internal struggles and i think of like werner uh, herzog who i think has like one of the most brilliant philosophies about life and one of the most annihilistic (laughs) (laughs) you do love a little bit of nihilism yeah and just just we're hard wretched animals you know and and this is something that I want to ask you as well, especially pertaining to your drug use. Mm-hmm. You know, did you use a lot of psychedelics or was it mostly heroin and cocaine? I was horrified of psychedelics up until I think I was 21 or 22. Yeah. So I started using coke when I was 14. Yeah. And then was introduced to heroin around like 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, as one is. Yeah, as one is. And, like, heroin was never a big thing for me, but I loved Coke. Yeah. Um, but for me, again, it was control. So I knew this is up or down. One pill makes you mm-hmm. smaller. One pill makes you larger. Yeah. That whole thing. Yes. I was so afraid of that kind of, like, Willy Wonka elevator that psychedelics told me, or everyone told me psychedelics yeah. were. Yeah. I was like, I know my head is fucked up. Yeah. I don't want to see what else. Yes. I know, I'm fucked up by what is present. I don't want to see what else is there. Yeah. Um. And then I did, the only psychedelics I think I've ever done are mushrooms. Um, and I really loved them. 
I still will do mushrooms every once in a while just because yeah. they've been so powerful and happy. Like microdosing or Not microdosing. I will just go out to like Joshua Tree with friends yeah. and do it, and it's always something really happy. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful thing. It is, yeah, because drugs for me were such a sad thing, and. To not have, like, I haven't done coke in a very long time, um, but I've seen people on coke since, and that's also been really good for me, where I'm like, oh, God, I used to be that way. It's just this kind of annoying 2 a.m. Let me talk yeah. at you for 55 like, yeah, minutes. sucking on your teeth. Like, has anybody seen my bag? You did it, babe. No, no, no. It's fine if you have it, but, like, have you seen it? Oh. I'm like, okay, thank God. I'm not that person. But I've never felt guilty with mushrooms. I've never had some horrible, like, morning after come down. yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's the intention too. Yeah, to be with people and connect rather than isolate or any of the reasons. I had a very, I had a laundry list of reasons to do the drugs I was yeah. doing. But that weight isn't attached to mushrooms. No, so. I, I, yeah. I, I, I have never done mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I've done a fuck ton of cocaine. Yeah. Like a fuck ton of cocaine. Um, and if I never it was do, snowing for years, yeah, it was. It literally was, um, like the blizzard of '98. Has nothing <laughs> on me. Um, I very much think <laughs> of myself as like Sharon Stone in Casino from like 14 <gasps> to 20. Oh my, just nose bleeding like, at the Olive Garden. Sharon Stone <laughs> in a Casino. I remember there is that specific scene when it's a montage and she's walking and sliding up against the wall yep. and i'm like yes everywhere i ever went <laughs> no matter yeah at a tgi fridays just sliding up against the wall That's sliding all I up ever against did. the wall yeah. just goodness feeling a type of way yeah yeah and 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 the thing is is that i used cocaine as a means it it allowed me to experience the illusion that i was connecting with someone else absolutely yeah and it, it was such an incredible lie. It's an incredible lie. It's it's such an incredible lie. And again, it's <clears throat> you know, if if you're listening and you do coke, think about it. No, not <laughs> even that. Like good for you cuz I'm not going to judge. Yeah. And I just know that um <clears throat> and that's something that I I feel like is incredibly important. Um <clears throat> Especially with everything that's going on right now, especially mm-hmm. considering that, like, California just now, like, Los Angeles, like, weed is now legal mm-hmm. recreationally, which is great, and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, like, getting to have a glass or two of wine is, like, different than getting to have three or four bottles. And it's what's the intention behind it. Yeah, where are you going with yeah, that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and I'm in no place uh, to judge anyone's drug use, but... Yeah, absolutely, like... Uh, and like what's right for me might not be right for you, but it doesn't True. mean it's wrong. Absolutely. And in terms of, I asked very specifically about the psychedelics because, you know, I had ample opportunity at like in my late teens and early twenties mm-hmm. and mid twenties to partake in psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified for the same reason that so you were scared. in regards yeah. to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was convinced that if I'd done psychedelics and I saw a cop, I was convinced that I would see the cops as Nazis and be so terrified and end up like jumping off a bridge to my death. 
I'm if I had that thought process, that would have been the same. Yeah. Like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Like my mind is a, my mind was a madhouse as it was. Um, and now as as somebody that has really gotten the privilege of getting to be in relationship with what I now deem to be medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, talking specifically about psychedelics, mm-hmm. in particular like MDMA and ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, I love MDMA. It's been, I really do consider it a medicine in that it's, it it's been totally so... It's been proven, too. Yes, I mean, yeah. they, they use it for vets with PTSD. They yep. use it for um, survivors of sex trauma, childhood mm-hmm. trauma, any kind of trauma. Um, <clears throat> and I've had the experience now three times with that medicine, and, and I do find it to be incredibly, incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... Because here we are, you and I, we don't know each other very well. You know, we, we're getting there. We're totally <laughs> getting there, and, and it will continue and continue and continue. And we met via, again, like our friend Zelda, you know, who I met through our um, mutual friend Scott Derrickson, who suggested that Zelda and I get together. Okay. And Zelda and I became friends, like, via Twitter. And I talk about this all the fucking time. Twitter <laughs> literally is like friend space for me. <laughs> um, it's it's where I really developed like the coolest relationships. Um, <clears throat> but here we are in like this thing called life, like on a planet in the middle of fucking space. That's like not even like spinning seamlessly. It's fucking wobbling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we're just trying to fucking make sense of it all. Once again, you know? yeah, if it's a hurdle towards life or a hurdle towards death, what do you do with the time? And that's the thing. It's it's. I'm very glad to be sitting here drinking wine with you. Yes, and it's the same, right? And but it goes to now. A, I'm going to say this on a side note. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm like taking a second just to get very, very, very clear. My, and I I don't want like, because now I'm feeling like it just sounds kind of possessive and I don't, I don't mean it to sound that way. (laughs) Um, But my partner, Heather, um, said something last night that really struck me and is absolutely correct. And it, I'm I'm so grateful in in so many ways that I I get to have the conversations that I have with her, and she really I feel like is my biggest teacher and probably is one of the most bril- is probably the most brilliant mind that I know, um, and I I get to experience. And she was talking about <coughs> worthiness and unworthiness and mm-hmm. how. Um, <coughs> All of us are made to feel unworthy, yeah. and therefore we're we're all in desire to prove that wrong and make ourselves feel worthy. And <coughs> b- 
based upon your experience, especially, you know, like in the last little bit, you know, what has your experience been in terms of getting to navigate between the things that no longer serve you, Mm -hmm. i.e. cocaine, all of that shit, the things that were incredibly self-destructive, and getting to stay true to who you are whilst getting to stay true to who you are in every single way, shape, and form, um, and being able to make those decisions for you without guilt or fear. You know what I mean? Yes. And I'm um, so grateful you do. I think and that 2016 was a was it a wasn't a fart, <laughs> to be clear. 2016 was a big learning year for me. and um, Same. Why was it for you? I went through a relationship that was probably like my first, not my first serious relationship, but it was a lot. And um, it was a lot of me giving, a lot of me not getting anything in return. It ended kind of messily. Um, And I just, I realized I didn't get anything done during that relationship because I was giving so much. I wanted to make sure. And in retrospect, it really, um, I know that everything has two sides. Like he did his things, but I can only speak for my own. I think a lot of it was me just, this fear projecting this fear that he was going to leave so i gave him everything and was kind of bending over backwards um and i wasn't starving or throwing up or doing drugs or whatever but that was its own toxic thing yeah i needed this man to validate me i needed this love this attention yeah um and what happened i didn't write and get anything done and so and did he leave yeah, that's a very long story. I'm not going to sell anybody out, but no. But did he leave? He did. Yeah, he did leave. So, but so, so there you go, though. Right. So this year, it was a lot of. I mean, absolutely. But this year was a lot of me, and I was celibate for most of it. And I think that was the last thing that was introduced to me was the use of sex as a self-destructive weapon yeah i was used to the food and then i was able to handle that and i got rid of the drugs and i was able to handle that and i've always told people it's kind of when you're hell-bent on self-destruction the way that i've kind of been wired to it's almost like playing whack-a-mole you pick up these ways to do it and then you'll yeah. so the beginning of this year was really hard because i felt like i was holding all of them down be it sex drugs rock and roll food yeah rock and roll holding all of them down and i really had to sit with myself and i also just I was kind of falling into a place of drinking while I write and I write all the time. So I was drinking all the time. Yeah. So I also have been all year, all of last year. Well, it's 2018 now, you Very guys. Very Bukowski. Um, practicing not drinking while I write and yeah. shifting it to daytime writing. And yeah. There's a lot of work on that. Um, and I think what I gathered from it, to go back to your question, um, I feel proud of myself because I did all these things for me there weren't men involved it wasn't to get anybody's love it wasn't to um it wasn't even to prove myself to anyone other than myself that I could do these things yes yes because I had taught myself over the years that I can't write unless I'm and that you were worthy for myself yeah and not for anybody else yeah you were worthy of self yeah and that's a huge thing I've never and it's still 
still going to take some work. I'm not all the way there. I mean, it'll. But it's just that was huge for me. It'll end when you die. Yeah, there you go. I mean, because there's always going to be, there's always, there's always going to be, and that's one of the like many fucking reasons that like I'm so fucking in love with Heather. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than like. Like I mean, really, clearly, it's like she is who she ago. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because it's her. Like that's why. Like it's not like again. Like you cannot like a prove anything. List and, like, yeah, she's. That's the goal is just to her. exist as you are, and I think <clears throat> again, everyone wants love. Everyone does. But you know, it's that. But here's the deal, right? It's <clears throat> a love by whose definition. And B, I think that, like, A, what you said was so incredibly beautiful. You know, um, I I had an experience very similar to yours that lasted four years mm-hmm. that ended in 2016. Um but what I found is that, A, when I'm focusing on somebody else's shit, I'm not focusing on mine. No, not at all. But I mean, but I mean that in the, when I'm focusing on trying to, quote unquote, fix you. I don't have to fix me. Oh, absolutely. The yeah. other half of that. Yes, I got yeah. writing done. Yes, I did all those things. But not drinking while I was writing, not sleeping with people, not doing drugs, not starving myself. That was hell because I had to sit in my head. I actually had to sit with me. And did you have to sit in your head or did you have to sit in your heart? Both. Yeah. I think that's, especially in terms of like mental illness, because like there's the heart. There's, I think like the child version of me lives there. Like there's everything I wanted, everything I know I'm capable of. And like they ask you what you want to be when you're a kid. That all exists there. And then there's your head, which is like the insecurities and the am I worthy, the whatever the mental illness is. And do you know what I would say to that? Mm -hmm. No, sorry. Actually continue. I want to hear the rest of what you have to say. So I had to sit with both. I had to sit with the head and the heart. And I think what made, because this was actually while I was writing elsewhere, that was my challenge was I was going to sit down and write. I think I did it for four months. I wrote the entire column nonstop without drinking during the day. Didn't sleep with anybody. Didn't do any of that. Yeah. And um, it was just insane to actually be with me. Me as a whole. Yeah. Head, heart, me. Yeah. Be with myself. And I haven't done that. And I realized I hadn't done that since I was 12. Yeah. Since I started throwing up, I had been pushing me away. Yes. And I found different ways to do it year after year. Sex, drugs, food, whatever. Yeah. But this was the first time since yeah. I was 12, 12 years later, that I actually sat down and was with me. Yeah. Head and heart. Yeah. And that is hard. Of course it is. Of course it is. But I also, I think, the one thing I will say about that relationship is that ex also had a lot of similar issues, and he's 10 years older than I am, and I think that was a wake-up call. I didn't want to be there going through that Yeah. at that age. I was like, yeah. I'm 24, and it's going to be hard, but is sitting with me harder than trying to sit with me when I'm 40, 50, 60. Yeah. How long am I going to push this off? Yes, really? exactly. It's exactly. horrifying, but exactly. how long are you going to do this for? Yeah. No, I get it. Well, it's also the, um, 
<clears throat> the threshold for pain. Yeah. Right? And it's... And that, to me, I think is the is the jumping off point where because when you were you were talking about the head and the heart and like since you were twelve, like it made me think, a like I'm sure that twelve year old had a lot to say, yeah. you know, um, because it's it's really the it's the silencing and it's the muzzling yes of the spirit. It's the silencing and the muzzling. Of the, and I can only speak for me, mm-hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> that, that just totally sounded like Flava Flav. Did you just hear that? I thought we were on Flavor of Love and I got so literally, excited I, for we just We just heard, wow, that literally just sounded just like Just outside Flav the window and like I literally saw the clock fuck. necklace in like my head. Like, holy shit. That was so exciting. Where's, where's New York? <gasps> Tiffany <Different> Pollard. <laughs> My hero. Oh, my God. (laughs) But, like, it's that you get to the point where you just say, like, enough is enough. Yeah. And, like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. And you're not done until you're done, which, you know, is why. Again, is. You have to let everybody hit their, quote, unquote, respective bottom. Well, so that was another thing that just kind of flickered into my head when you were speaking, but on this note of one of the last essays and elsewhere is talking about um, it's it's called coming down. So it was a morning that I had where someone called me and I'd done something terrible and it was five in the morning and I was like, I could like address this like an adult or I could do another line. I want to do another line, (laughs) but I somehow made that like six pages of an essay. Um, But one of the thought processes and it was that nobody kind of ever tells you that rock bottom is, I think the line is rock bottom is a surprisingly comfortable place to lay your head. And for me, that was for the longest time. Okay. I'm here. Everything is horrible. I'm hurting, but it can't get any worse, which it can most of the time. But in theory, it cannot get worse. Yes. And that sometimes just feels so much safer than, Oh, I meet somebody that I could really like, or I could do something really great. Who knows what happens with that? I know how this looks. Yes, exactly. I, I'm comfortable yes, with this. Of course, absolutely. And I that was one of the biggest things I had to kind of train myself out of was yeah, but then you just live your life at this plateau. And it's a really sad plateau. I think the beauty of life, again, we're on this crazy planet, yeah. Wobbling around, yeah, hurtling toward death. Yeah. Be as nihilistic as we want about it. But why not just we didn't ask to be born. Enjoy it. Why not go for the ride? And enjoy like the sad parts too. Just go through the yes. full thing rather than yes. plateauing at this. Yes. Well, it's everything in life is the meaning I give it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is like another quote from Neil Do- Donald Walsh. I could be wrong. Someone look it up and let me know, please. <laughs> thank you. Seriously, thank you in advance. Um, the podcast's not over. We're just taking a pause. <laughs> we're thinking. We're, we're, we're taking a pause. Um, he's thinking. I'm feeling. Um, <clears throat> head and heart. <laughs> head and heart. And spirit and soul and, and all of that goodness. It's Life is heartbreaking, honestly, at the end of the day. And it it's, is. you know, um, 
I have this tattoo on my on my the back of my left shoulder that says like to love is to die. Um which on both sides of the coin is is very very true because truthfully at the end of the day we're terrified of death. Mm-hmm. Like we're absolutely absolutely I I'm terrified to die. I'm terrified. Are you really? Oh yeah. Terrified. Terrified about it. I don't think I ever have been. I know that's really strange. But you know like here's the thing is that the, the what I found with the individuals, and I used to be one of those, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die at all. Am I one of those invincible kids? Is that where I'm at still? No, where, where what I recognized was the opposite of, <clears throat> if I was so comfortable and felt so safe with death, mm-hmm. then I would feel so comfortable and so safe with life. Okay. Yeah, okay. And... And to have this again go full circle, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I'm if I'm really, 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 really being honest, it's <laughs> what um, came here to do. <laughs> Like, what is life? Like, what is it to actually be alive? What is it to be living? What is it to be in life? Um, it's getting to be in everything. It's getting to be in the joy. It's getting to be in the pain. And, Absolutely. And I feel that most of us are running from that original wounding, from that primal fucking wound. And I used to roll my eyes at that, too. Like, primal wound, like fucking get over it blah, no. blah 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 but like really it's like a real fucking thing and because we've been so conditioned to just get over it work through it ba 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 do the thing da 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 only the strong survive feelings are like boys don't cry like feelings are for pussies like, yeah. what the fuck pull yourself up by your bootstraps motherfucker like, <laughs> but I don't got no boots yeah doesn't matter I'm wearing heels like yeah. Like, I'm barefoot. <laughs> I'm barefoot. What do I'm you like, barefoot, motherfucker. What the <laughs> fuck you want from me? I don't, I can't afford shoes. Um, and very fair point. Yeah. And, and what that is, I'm finding like more and more. If you're raised with no compassion. It's really hard to have compassion. Oh, yeah. Feelings are hard to learn. Feelings are hard to unlearn. Feelings are hard to unlearn. And compassion, I think, empathy. I always preach the difference between empathy and sympathy. Like, Mm -hmm. actually being empathic towards somebody. That's like a... You can't really ask that of everyone. Mm -mm. Um, And... Yeah, it is really difficult for some people to feel empathy and that's okay i've always thought to the least i can do is be sympathetic yeah i may not be able to understand or resonate with your story but i as a feeling human being can connect find a way to connect put myself in your shoes even if you're barefoot put myself in your bare feet and try to understand yeah um for sure And and that's hard sometimes it's hard sometimes and i think 
a lot more people need to try to do it because I think that would be a big change. Oh, yeah. The, the actual disconnect a lot of the time. Um, living in LA my whole life, like the homeless population, the people that are moving into downtown now, it's popping up. We have the arts district, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. I went on a date with a date with a dude once. We went to this restaurant, but we walked from his place to the restaurant and we were walking back and his food was done and he didn't ask for a box. He was just going to let them take it away. And I was like, no, no get a box. Like, we're going to see, yes. like, statistically speaking, like 30 homeless people on the way. Like, grab a box. We're never going on a second date, but I will walk you back to your house. Yes. And make sure that you get somebody. To- and But make sure that here's the thing. Side note. A, I always do that. Yeah. I always get a box to go. Yeah. Always, always, always. Yeah. And I always make sure that they include plastic silverware and true. napkins. True, 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 true. So if you're listening and you do this, always make sure to include plastic silverware and napkins. And some people that are homeless might not actually take it, A, because they can't eat. Yeah. They can't actually chew, which has, which I've experienced before yeah i have to and or they don't want it or whatever but it's just kind of i think the intention i just yeah no i get it somebody yes empathy thing or the sympathy thing i just that's something i've noticed just with downtown changing the way it has i'm like you're moving here and with that too though here's the deal right i think that there's also a very fine line between empathy and guilt Oh, yeah. Is your motivation guilt? Where it's, where, and I don't know if this is like specifically like for women. I'm sure to a certain degree, like it's, it's for everyone, but I can only speak as a woman and, and I've shared this before. You know, I lived in down, I lived downtown for a year and I lived in New York for Mm -hmm. fucking 13 years. Um, but when I would walk down the street and I would have somebody ask me for a cigarette, you know, homeless or not, especially homeless. And yeah. I would say no. And I would say, no, sorry, I don't have any. But I did. I had yeah. a pack. But I didn't, I, I didn't feel like giving it to them. And what I recognized for me was I'd been so conditioned to believe that just because I had it, it meant that I should give it. You see, Just I don't think because that's true. I like ha- cigarettes are not a necessity. See, They're also very expensive. But here but here's the deal, right? Like yeah. for me, just as it being, mm-hmm. because I was afforded the privilege and the opportunity to be able to buy a pack of cigarettes, mm-hmm. it audit it automatically meant that if someone that if somebody wanted a cigarette or needed a cigarette. Because I was afforded the privilege of being able to afford to buy a pack and mm-hmm. I had a pack on hand, it automatically meant that they were entitled to it and that mm-hmm. it was their right to have one. And when I said no, I would feel really fucking guilty about it because it made me feel selfish and it made me feel like a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And what <clears throat> the aha moment I had with that was that you substitute cigarette for body. You sub- you substitute cigarette for money yeah you substitute cigarette for time you substitute cigarette for everything and anything it doesn't fucking matter i'd always quantified it by need like i will get you a cup of water i will get you food i will do anything and if i have money i will give it yeah cigarettes like i really like to smoke these are mine and i don't want to run out 
That's always been my thing. And, and I, but then again, right in terms of need, yeah. sometimes I really need a fucking cigarette. It's true. It's true. Like I need a fucking cigarette because that's the only thing that's going to keep me from like going off on the fucking rails. That's true. Like I need a fucking cigarette and I need a fucking cigarette now. But I've never felt the same by denying someone a cigarette. I'm like, they someone will give them one. And they're not going to like die, and that and that to me is like the the bigger thing, yeah. Right, where it's <clears throat> when I give, mm-hmm. I want to be completely in choice that I'm of choosing to give, yeah. That I'm I'm making the choice from love, mm-hmm. and I'm not making the choice from fear or guilt. Yeah, and I've always found ways to even when I was using drugs, like if I would be at like a Seven Eleven trying to get cigarettes or something, and somebody was obviously fiending and asking for money. I would get them like gummy worms or something really sweet to help with the come down. Yeah. Rather, and that's just me being a teenager that can't like do anything. But I knew that would help in a little way. Yeah. And that would be my contribution to that. And I could feel okay about myself without. But isn't that interesting that you would feel okay about yourself? As opposed to, do you know, do, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've always, yeah, yes. But I've always just had that, like, when someone's really struggling, I always feel like, what can I do? And, and the I question is why? I don't know. I think that's just always... I grew up in an area where there were homeless people. And like our 7-Eleven was literally backed up to this sort of halfway house, like motel situation. Um, and there were always people outside that just were really not doing well. And my thing when I was younger was I would always ask people to buy me cigarettes. So Same. Yeah, so same, I would go and same, do that. And I, it, some of the people were obviously in really horrible situations. When I was a teenager, I didn't have yeah. a ton of money I could yeah. give them. So yeah. they had the gummy worms or like yeah. the skills yeah. or something yeah, like for that. Sure, that for was sure. my yeah, because you identified with the struggle. Yeah. In, in, in the limited way that like you could... Um, and that's and that's the thing too, right? Where it's the my struggle is greater than yours. Here's how I'm different. Here's mm-hmm. how I'm unique. Here's how struggle is struggle is struggle is struggle is struggle. Struggle is so subjective. And, yeah. and here's the deal. Because I I hear what I'm saying and I I recognize how it could be interpreted. Okay. And I'm speaking for myself as like a fucking white woman. Mm-hmm. Who's a lesbian? Who's got like a fuck ton of fucking privilege, you know? And I am in no way, shape, or form going to compare my struggle with that of somebody who is in fucking war-torn fucking Syria or yeah. Libya or Afghanistan or fucking whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. you know? Like, <clears throat> and. With that, I can say, and and this is one of the reasons that I I love that I get to be a storyteller. Um, and I'm just like having an aha moment right now. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I I always use this as an example. I think of um that Will Smith movie. It was Will Smith and his son Jaden Smith, not Pursuit of Happiness, but. The movie um, where they're like on that foreign planet. I never saw it. I know what you're talking about. I don't yeah. know the name. And I, I always say like I can identify with um, a 10-year-old boy of color on a foreign planet battling aliens. 
because right. I've never been a 10-year-old boy of color. <laughs> and I've never been on a foreign planet battling aliens that I know of. These are facts. These these are these are 99.9% base facts because <laughs> the truth is I really don't know. Parallel Who universe, knows? that's what you're exactly, doing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but... No, and um, I also am able to identify with the feeling of loneliness. I'm able to identify with the feeling of rage. I'm able to identify with the feeling of terror. I'm able to identify with the feeling of longing. I'm able to identify Mm -hmm. with um, the feeling of frustration. I'm able to identify with the feeling of love, the feeling of joy, all of those things, because the truth is, at the end of the day, we are feeling beings. Yeah. And when I'm so busy um, asking, demanding, I need to be seen, I need to be felt, I need to be recognized, I need to be heard, I need to be heard and I need to be seen. That's all any of us really want. Ever, yeah. Like, we desire to be seen. We desire to be heard. We desire to be felt. Yes. We, I, we desire to be received. Yeah. Fully holy. Um, holy. Holy. <laughs> W-H-O-L-E-Y and H-O-L-Y. You know? Anyway, yeah. Um, there's a holiness in the whole. Um <laughs> And so we do everything and anything that we can in our power to make sure that, like, we are received in that way. But, again, what we were talking about earlier in the sense of the the steps that we as individuals take to go about doing that and, you know... the ladder and the lifeboat and all that stuff. And yeah. it's, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. But meanwhile, here are the opportunities. But mm-hmm. because I'm so fixated on what it's going to look like and how it's going to feel and the packaging and all that shit, I'm missing the opportunity and I'm missing the gifts that are presenting themselves to me in this moment. And you can be so caught up in that. I think... Because I do not feel that I am fucking worthy. I'm not worthy and I'm not, yeah. I'm not worthy of fucking receiving it as it is in the moment. Because if my prayers and desires are answered. And they're so specific. So fucking immediately. Yeah. That means that I've been living a lie. It means that I need to give up the story that... um, it means that I need to give up the story and I need to give up the attachment to the belief that it's harder for me than it is for others. I need to give up the attachment to the story that um, it comes easier for others than it does for me. So, uh, so I think what you've been so lovely about and what I really try to do as well is I am also a white gay male and I'm also in Los Angeles. I really want to factor that in. I grew up here. Like, I haven't had the same struggle that someone in the Midwest would have. Like, yeah, I really, that has sure. been my priority struggle is being gay. Like, yeah. Like, my headspace and all of that has been my struggle. And I 
never had that hard time. But, but you've had your hard I've time. I've had my hard time. And so, yes. And but not I think checking your it. privilege is such a beautiful thing to do because it, one, allows you to know how you can help others because your privilege allows you, it gives you the privilege to help others. And also, it just affords you that opportunity. But to continue on with that, um, I do think struggle is universal, and I do think it is subjective because uh, the way I look at it is there was one girl. I know this is such a silly story. I have two. I doubt it. Don't um, judge it. So I got kind of like shipped off to high school in Huntington Beach, which is Orange County. So from South Bay to Orange County, um, which was pretty affluent. And the summer after my father's suicide, I went to s- or the s- September after he killed himself in the summer, um, I got to school and there was literally a girl crying in my first period class. And I was so curious, as we are, as to like what her issue was. And I shit you not, because I know this is, I think, like a super sweet 16 moment, but she was crying about the car she got for her 16th birthday to a friend. Jesus I'm not fucking kidding. Christ. I know it's like, it sounds like a joke because their show already did that. Um, and I wow. wanted to be enraged because I literally turned 16 seven days after my father's suicide. But it kind of struck, and I'm such a visual person, but it kind of struck this mindset in me where I was like, it's a ladder almost. Hmm. So that's the lowest rung she's reached yeah. in terms of struggle yeah. or pain yeah. or sadness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down here. Yeah. Someone in Syria is down here. I don't know what it means to be in a war-torn country. She doesn't know what it means to lose her father. She got the wrong car, but she didn't experience the wrongs it took to get down there. So that is just as real for her. And I know that's a far-fetched one. No, I... But it's a deep... Uh, no, but loss. I... Uh, and and I guess that... And that goes to then that like idea of perspective, right? And yeah. And getting to broaden one's understanding and getting to and I feel that a lot of people use it um in a in a way that perpetuates guilt yeah where it's you should feel guilty for what you have by saying you should be thankful for yeah where you know I would have experiences where I legitimately you know like some legitimate shit would be going on in my like white real? privileged life, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, th- that sounds, but it sounds like such an MTV show. Um, <laughs> In my white privilege, I'm actually gonna write that. Sorry, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'll help. Like but my so-called life, my, my, my white, white privileged privilege life. But really quickly, just the second part of that was once I finally I got my DUI and I went yeah. to all of the. I had to do some court-ordered meetings. Yeah. And I chose to do NA because I was like, I have a bigger problem with yeah. drugs than alcohol, so yeah. I'll go do this. And yeah. I went in Norwalk. And Jesus, like the stories that were being told there, like these people that are losing their kids and losing their homes and losing their yeah. whatever. And I was sitting there and I was like, I'm in this meeting too. Because I felt guilty when it came yeah. to me talking. What am I going to say? Yeah. I'm a fashion model and I really love cocaine. <laughs> like I just didn't know what to say. But I was like, I am having a really hard time and it is really affecting my life. Yeah, and for sure. It's, I am able, I think what you were just saying is finding a way to give people perspective. I fortunately somehow have been able to always take the step back yeah. and look at it to at least be cognizant of like, oh my God, I'm in this meeting and what I'm about to say is a lot 
not less important, yeah, but no. a lot less severe. But was it before or after your dad died? Oh, way after. Yeah. So like with that too, right? It's that I would always minimize mm-hmm. my shit. Like I would always deflect. I would always joke like, and it's one that like I tell that I still think it's like very fucking funny because <laughs> like I do like and I'm grinning like fucking idiot because I do think it's funny um but I remember like I was in high school and like even before high school I developed like a really severe cutting problem like, okay. really really severe and like I'd slit my wrist twice and I like <clears throat> and I'd started like cutting when I was like 11 or 12 um And by the time, like, I was, like, 15, like, I'd stopped, like, slitting my wrists and, like, cutting my wrists open. Oh, God, I'm just thinking about it. Like, fuck me. Oh, it's, like, oh, it's horrible. Um, But I, like, started cutting my thighs. Yeah. Um, And no one can see it, too. Yeah, because I, I felt so numb that cutting allowed me to actually reminded me I was alive that I was feeling that's that what I could I've actually heard from feel. a lot of cutters yeah um because I I felt so dead mm-hmm. I felt so fucking dead and so fucking numb and I remember that like it ended up like bleeding like I had cut way too deep mm-hmm. and it ended up like bleeding through my jeans and like blah 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 cut to I end up having to go see a therapist um, Dr. Goldstein. Shouts very, out. very Long Island. Um, Dr. Goldstein. We love it. I love it. And I and I remember he had seen my he had met with my parents and then he had met with me and I remember him saying, like, you you really just have to get through high school and be done. Like that's it. He he met my parents and like agreed that they were out of their minds. <laughs> and I had been seeing him for like Maybe like five, six, seven months. And then I had to go off and do a film. And I'm even recognizing that the language have to. But I got a film. Yeah. I went to go do a movie. And when I came back, and I I came back from doing this movie, it was like two and a half months. And I came back and he was dead. (laughs) <laughs> oh god yeah oh god what do you even and, do? and I said like right when I was getting to the heart of my abandonment issues yeah and then like, you're gone like my therapist up and sake. dies um and I I said that A because like I thought it was like very fucking funny because I still think it is I mean um, it, it is I can laugh with you in my own because yeah. it's the fucking irony of fucking life it and, is the irony of life and that's and that's the thing too I think and and that's what Heather teaches me so much on like a daily basis where um and it's something it's that Carrie Fisher quote right where it's um like if something about I'm totally gonna butcher it <laughs> like if life um if life wasn't funny then it would just if my life wasn't funny then it would just be my life and that's unacceptable yeah like I stand by that so deeply I think I have laughed at the most horrible things and it has made people uncomfortable and that's fine, but it oh has yeah. also led me to the people I love because oh yeah. they laugh every too. Fun- every funeral. Every, I every actually funeral. have a very close friend now who 
lived a very different life that was very privileged yeah. like unbelievably rich in newport yeah. beach and but she had a very severe drug problem as well at the same yeah. age time yeah. the first time she smoked heroin was at a tgi fridays oh my god she I also that. cried i didn't mention this earlier but i cried into a caesar salad and so did she she was not having to pay for that caesar salad because someone else was oh my but god. that's our wow. like connection wow and um, it's 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 a good utilization of salt <laughs> for sure there you go um, i think yeah it's beautiful. I think if you don't laugh at it and you don't find people that can laugh with you, like, yeah. what the hell are you going to do? Kill it's going to keep happening. Yes, <laughs> it's going to keep happening whether you like it or not. <laughs> so just find the moments that you can laugh at. Exactly. And I, I feel like sometimes, too, and, you know, um, I feel like for the first time in my life, I feel like I've, I've been given, I've been given through example, like via Heather and... Um, really via Heather and like a very few select others but I feel like I've been given through an ex- through example the permission to laugh yeah Um, and more than that to not only just laugh um, but to laugh into the grief. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you laugh until you cry, that's okay. Yeah. you got to be with those people that will exactly. sit with that. you got to... Exactly. The full range. Yeah. I say laugh because I think it's actually really healthy. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you got to be with the people. you got to surround yourself with the people that will... You can't just be the sad clown. No, you can't. you got to, like, be with the people that will love you when yes. you do start to feel I, down. And that's, and that's the gift of, I think, getting calls out on your shit and, like, the wake-up calls. And, like, they're oh, really, like, are you going to be willing to receive? Are you willing to receive it? It's mm-hmm. right here. Take it or not. Um, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Um, just like this podcast. <laughs> um, so, on that note, I, A, like, I really, I would love to have you back at some point. I'd love to. This um, is a blast. Like, so much fucking fun. And for everyone else... Oh my god! Um, a, thank you for listening. B, I don't know what's gonna happen between now and when this airs. Hopefully, not a lot of sh- fucking shit, but with like nuclear buttons and like the fucking thing of much bigger and better ones. And much bigger and better ones. But who's got the small hands? Anyway, um, next week's guest, Mara Wilson. Very excited about that and. I hope that everybody enjoyed this episode, the first episode of season two of Shut Up and Listen. And I'm really excited about the season. Got some more um, that's not proper English. (laughs) There's some really exciting stuff coming up um, that I am really looking forward to sharing with you guys. And as always, I love you. Love yourself cry laugh um if nobody's stay vulnerable stay vulnerable and if nobody's told you that you were loved today i'm letting you know you're loved